So we thought it um, good to just pause our current series that we have been doing, Seated and Sealed, and we've been speaking about Holy Spirit, and it's been a wonderful journey, uh, particularly over the last 10 weeks where we've spoken about the, the fruit of the Spirit, and as we said, we'll launch into the gifts next year. But yeah, we have December. I don't know how many of you have noticed it, but it is December, last month of the year, and um, because it being such a, a valuable time for us as, as believers, and there's a lot of debate whether Jesus was actually born on the 25th, that's irrelevant. Jesus was born. Jesus was never created, by the way. You know that. <laughs> he just came to be born. Jesus is creator himself. But anyway, so the month of December is a special time for us as followers of Christ, and and so I just felt that it'll be great for us to consider him again. There's so much about him that we need to stop for. And so we're going to do a series for the next four weeks called What's So Amazing About the Birth of Jesus? What's so amazing about the birth of Jesus? Because there is a lot that we need to stand in amazement about the birth of Jesus. It is not just a simple birth. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at different aspects related to the birth of Jesus. And so this morning, I want to look at the first thing that, that, that really is incredibly remarkable about, about his birth. And, and to do that, I, I needed to share with you something that is so often in life not valued. It's actually undervalued. It's something that we... We don't really consider it to be that important and hence it's not celebrated. The reality though is when you look into some of the research that have gone into this concept that I want to talk about is that even non-faith or unbelieving researchers, people that don't have a particular faith in God, have found that this concept or this idea is incredibly valuable and when it functions effectively in our lives, it can do the following. Listen to it. It can greatly enhance our focus and productivity. <laughs> it can make you more productive. It says that they, and this is from research, eh? it'll improve memory and academic performance. Wish I knew these things when I was at school. It will improve your memory and academic performance. Guys taking notes, eh? I see you taking notes. That's very helpful because you're just sitting looking at notes means you take a pen and you write it down. That's what, <laughs> anyway, it says it'll improve you. What it also will do, it'll boost your health and release more creativity. Taking notes that this is what it can do. Other thing that it will do and can do is it can increase your kindness and compassion can grow in your life. How many of you would like to have more kindness and compassion extended from you? Not received? Because we're all like, yeah, I'd love people to be more kind towards me. There you go. Thanks, Josh. And, and if we want to let it come from us, then there's a key. The other thing that it says it will do, and can do, and, and again, research has proven this, it even reduces ADHD, depression, disorders, and anxiety, and other things related. That's what this can do question then is, what is so highly effective that it can have such an influence in our lives and in these areas as mentioned? It's like, yeah, yeah, what is it? I mean, okay, I know what you're saying. It can do the following. So, and, and may I just add suspense to what I'm saying, saying that it's probably one of the most underrated practices in our lives and not celebrated by many, almost by most. 
Some believers in Christ. Okay, adding saying, there's a drum roll coming, it's coming, don't worry. It says, some believers in Christ call this, this thing that can do all of these that I've just mentioned. It says, they, they refer to it as the furnace of transformation. Whoa, that's a nice way of putting it. Or they even call it, it says, without it, it is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. It's like, what in the world is it then? It's a thing that we don't celebrate at all. And it's called silence. Silence. Never thought that that would relate to what I've just mentioned. Hey, we thought maybe if we do something more, then I'll be more productive and more able to focus and more creative and more memory ability. Research outside of our faith context has proven that. What is silence then? Silence is purposeful quietness. It's purposeful or intentional quietness. It's the absence of intentional sound. The moment we can try to be intentional about being silent. But there will be noises and sounds heard. The fans are making a noise. Others are making a noise when whatever they do, you know, move around, scratch here, scratch there, cough. It's intentional stuff. But intentional sounds are the things we turn on, such as TVs and those things that we carry around, things in our ears, words spoken or heard in a conversation. Those are intentional sounds. Music such as humming or tapping and the noise of tools, keyboards, I mean, we type or other objects. Quietness comes when, when we turn those things off. But to choose for silence is a choice that is made for intentional quietness. Sometimes quietness just comes because we're driving in a car and there's nobody else with us. And it's quiet. But intentional quietness is something that we need to choose for. A study, they say at a university in the States, of 580 university students, and they're taken over a period of six years, and, and it was reported by a man called Bruce Fell, shows that the constant accessibility and exposure to background media has created a mass of people who fear silence. So this study, along with research done by the University of New England and an Australian Institute of Family Studies, argues this, the need of these people that they have um, studied. Their need for noise and their struggle with silence is a learned behavior. It's a learned behavior. So it cannot be blamed on the rise of social media and the 24-hour availability of entertainment and that. It's a learned behavior. It says, for many of these students' lives, the TV was always on at home, even when no one was watching. Hmm. 
It's amazing that there's these comments coming without me having to say anything. It's like... They say that often the case, their, their, their inability to become quiet and enjoy and embrace silence is because that's through their parents, even their parents' childhood experience, that that has been the prevailing thing at home. So they say if background noise has always been with them, it's no wonder they can become so uncomfortable when it's taken away. And that for many people, it has developed a fear of silence. Not only an inability to embrace silence, but a fear of it. Because we're constantly aware of background music or sound. That when it's taken away, then the TV is turned off or whatever's turned off or music or... Something's wrong. Zessa's gone. Uh-huh. That's often what we say. And I found that one of the most amazing periods of my life had been that time. I don't know when it was. Remember when we had no internet and there was also Zessa issues? It's like the whole country had no internet. Remember that? You're like, oh, don't remind me of that. I get, you know, like fearful when I think about that. Like, oh, get these manifestations that's called stunning, starts coming up. So remember that time? It's like a week in Zim. We're like, what has the government done to us? We couldn't even, everybody was, the name or the word that everybody was talking about was VPN. It's like the alternative to create some access to of WhatsApp and like, oh, Jesus, where are you? Can't talk to my friends. No, that's why I want to be around. And, and, and that time was just incredibly traumatic for us because more and more we became aware of silence. So now we're talking about silence and your question will be, what in the world is it going to do with the birth of Jesus? Very good question. Thanks for asking it. Really, kind of you. I want to share with you the fact that there was silence before the birth of Jesus. So our today's topic is Silence before the birth of Jesus. I want to take you to a place in the Bible that you should be easily able to find and it's at the end of your Old Testament. And the last book in the Old Testament is what? The last and the first, there's two things in common. Two letters, M-A and M-A. Malachi and Matthew. You even know that? Ma, ma. And, and so we find that in the end of the Old Testament, there's this book called Malachi. Um, and, and in the end of this book, which is a prophetic book talking about what is to come and speaking into the lives of the people at that time, it says in Malachi 4, and verse 5, it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And, and when he comes, and it's not going to be Elijah, but somebody like him, it says, He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. That's the way Old Testament comes to an end. We then find that the New Testament is introduced. And you just turn, if you have a Bible that, goes by page, it's like one page or little swipe with a finger. It says in Matthew 1 that it gives us the genealogy of Jesus Christ, which you all know so well and you've read through many times, amen? Oh, thank you. And in verse 18, this amazing thing is introduced. 
It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, say with me, Joseph. Joseph, well done. Being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And then he goes, sentence there, or in our biblical language, one verse, where the angel speaks to Joseph is an incredibly important moment. Because if you look at your Bible... Why don't you just take this page? Do you have one? It's one page. This page says a lot. Did you know that? And this morning I want to preach from one page that has nothing on it. I've never preached from a blank page. Well, it says the New Testament, but in actual fact there's really nothing here. It is a separating line between old and a new. And this page represents what the historians believe to be 400 years. Did you know that? This is 400 years, summed up there. And so we're going to go through 400 years quickly this morning. Is that all right? You okay? <laughs> but don't worry, I mean, it's just one page. <laughs> it's like, don't do that to us. Like, no, we're going we're gonna to just look at 400 years. And these 400 years by historians, accurately also, I believe, is, is described to be the 400 silent years. That the years between the old and the new, about 430 or so years before Christ, until Christ came, which is around about 2 BC or whatever it was, those 400 years... Your Bible, my Bible, <laughs> has had to tell us about it. Nothing. That's why people would say this is the time when God was silent. So the way that that silence was broken was when Joseph was about to divorce his wife and said, I can't marry. It's not me. I don't make her pregnant. And is heard and it speaks into his heart and says no Joseph this is not what you're supposed to do this is God's doing don't worry buddy don't worry about what people will think paraphrasing it he says this is God at work and the 400 years of silence is broken and God speaks and God appears through his son Jesus but there's something of incredible value in these 400 years that for us as believers, we often don't consider. And when we think of silent years, and by the way, when we refer to silent years, it doesn't mean that God may have, he may have been quiet in the sense that there were no prophetic. It doesn't mean that God was inactive. We think that silence is a very unproductive thing. 400 years, nothing happened. Where do you think 
Read again the genealogy. And you see that there was life that was taking place in that time and during that time. That when Jesus was about to be born from this lineage, although it was a supernatural, God said, this is how it is going to happen. So life was happening during that time when we think that nothing, because it's silent. And so what I want to stir you with this morning is to recognize that even though there is silence in our lives and there was this 400 years of supposed silence, there's so much that God was doing and can do when you and I become silent. So I want to just use a little bit of history this morning. So how many of you love history? Like four, five. Lord, I pray for the rest. <laughs> that you will help them to repent. <laughs> his story is his story. Amen? Really, it's God at work. And, and there's something beautiful, beautiful about this, what we call this intertestamental period called these silent years that were absolutely quite significant. The birth of Jesus was preceded by 400 years of supposed silence. That God was not speaking, but God was working. And I want to just show you how much he was actually preparing the world for the coming Messiah. And that when you and I take time out to become quiet and silent before God, it is an incredibly productive thing to do. And so... The aim of this morning is to use the birth of Jesus to stir your hearts around silence. It's a weird way. But I trust it will work. So let me give you a quick peek into these 400 years. And I'm just going to share with you about the rulers of the time. The, the, the nations that were, that were governing, particularly Israel and Judah, and, and, and had an influence on the lives of the Jews and, and so that you can just see that even though we don't have biblical record of it, there's historical record that help us understand how much God was at work even though he didn't use the, the typical way in the rest of the Old Testament, the kings and the priests and the prophets. So there were different nations of people ruling the land of Israel and it had the following effect on the world and, and also on the Jews preparing for the coming Messiah. The first group that ruled Persia were the guys that when Israel, how many of you have heard of Israel taking into captivity and going to Babylon? Uh-huh. Remember that? And Nehemiah asking permission to come back to rebuild the city walls, etc., etc. So what happened was the Babylonians were, were, were leading or ruling and Persia took over. Boom, right about that. Actually, another 100 years before that, even from 500, but particularly related to our 400-year period, they ruled from 430 to 330 before Christ. So now, I mean, remember, the year's not becoming less. I'll just stay with me, all right? It's not like counting, adding, it's subtracting. So, so for that 100 years, the Persians were ruling, and they brought about the fall of Babylon, as I said, and like the following, you Jews that were in captivity in the place that we've now taken over, you can go back. You can go back. So God used 
Persian king called Cyrus particularly to let them be able to return. And that's in the time when the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem started happening and reinstitution of, of worship of God. And, and that's where the books Ezra and Nehemiah kind of was, was written and took place. So God used the Persians to release the Jews from captivity of 70 years and be taken back into their own homeland. Then the next group of guys appeared, and the Greeks come. <laughs> There's a famous guy called Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great. So Alexander comes, and he now invades the world that the Persians to control of. And so he starts ruling, and, and he conquers the land and the entire civilized world. He did as a teenager, by the way. Did you know that? I never knew that. And he ruled until he died at the age of 29. Not too long. Anyway, he, he brought a Greek culture of education, mystery, religions, magic, and, and most importantly, what he brought in at that time was the Greek language. <laughs> Amazing thing. He brought in this language that was spoken throughout the known world and started being spoken. Even after they would lose control, yeah, 164 before Christ, their language stayed the prevailing language. And guess what? After that took place in Greek, or Greece, Greek, yeah, Greek became the prevailing language, it was the language that was used to spread the gospel. <laughs> so that when the disciples started preaching, they could preach in one language. And God used that, that when Jesus came, these silent years, there were things happening. God was at work. <laughs> and he was preparing the, the context of the place for um, arrived in Jerusalem to actually come and say, listen, I'm here as this tall man, very impressive. A high priest came out and, 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 and I wanted to ask him, please, whatever it would have been, please don't, you know, ruin our city, ruin our temple, and, and Alexander had great sympathy towards him. God had seemingly had spoken to him in a dream. This is now extra historical information. And, and one of the things that the, the, the Jews said, listen, if you not, do not destroy us and destroy what we have, for one year, all the children born, sons of priests born, will carry the name Alexander. And to this day, it is a common name in a Jewish culture. Alexander. It's like a strange name, still used as a name by the Jews because of this event. Amazing. Promise made. And so then after this period, we find that independence started coming a little bit and, and there was a, what we call the Maccabean revolt. The Jews protested against the Greek rule uh, over them. Alexander the Great was no longer around. They had other Greek rulers and they didn't enjoy it and they wanted to rule themselves. And, and what was then what then took place during this time was there was a re-emphasis of one God taking place because the Greeks came with all their gods. And when the Jews started ruling themselves, they re-emphasized the fact that there's one God and a sense of hope. And what God did in that time, a messianic expectation started rising up again. Then we find the last period in this historical period is when these guys came onto the scene. Rome arrives, 
and Rome with all of its paraphernalia and, and all of its systems and Herod invaded Israel and his conquest to set up a Roman Empire. And that empire lasted almost 200 years. They brought law, but they also brought a fairly stable government and systems in place and slavery was introduced and something incredibly important also came along when these Romans started ruling. That paved the way for the gospel to actually go worldwide. They didn't know that they were setting up a system that would take the gospel to the ends of the world at that time. And what the Romans brought is the construction of roads. <laughs> they were very good with it. I mean, there's still some of these roads that are used today even as we speak because they did it so well. And they connected cities and towns and villages in such a way that when the gospel needed to go, in Acts chapter 8, we see that persecution broke out and the gospel needed to go to the whole world. There was a network of roads in place <laughs> set up by the Romans that were so against God himself and were part of killing Jesus. But yet God used them in these silent years to set up a system that will spread. And so the birth of Jesus was, was preceded by an amazing time of God being at work. God seemingly being silent. No recordings, no one page. But God absolutely being in control and knowing what needs to happen and prepared. And there's so many other things that I can share with you of these 400 years. It'll just blow your mind like, oh, I never knew that. And I think that's a danger for us is that we think that it's silent, there's nothing happening, but yet there's so much happening. Because our God is earlier, this, that, that silence is called this thing called a furnace of transformation. Without it, it's virtually impossible to live in a spiritual world or spiritual life. And then the other thing that I didn't mention earlier, it is a good discipline to wonder if people wouldn't be better served by our silence than by our words. <laughs> Shall I speak more is often the thing that I am challenged with. I was saying to the people outside when we were praying for this morning's meeting, I thought, I was telling them that I want to talk about this, this concept of silence. And I said, you know, I wonder if it wouldn't be better for us just to have two hours of silence than do anything. How would, how would I cope? How would you cope? Would you be able to? Have you ever done two hours of just nothingness? In this whole pursuit of preparing for this morning, I, I, I watched this video of a guy that um, spoke on this topic. And he said that in a... In a, in a particular situation in the States, there was this um, research done that they, in, they invited people to be part of the project. And the project was going to be 18 months long. And what they did is they took these people away from their current context. And so obviously people couldn't work for those 18 months. And they took them into silence of 18 months. So him and his wife, he said they went and they participated in it. And so they were allowed to, at the end of the day, they were asked questions by the people that did the research and was in charge of everything. Then they would say, okay, so how was your day? Tell me. And then that's it. And allowed to talk. 
and, and, and listen to anything, just go into silence. And just the experience that he had. But you know, silence is something that I believe has incredible value. Let me just show you with you some biblical examples of this. And, and I'm sure many of you would have read some of these things in Psalm 46 and verse 10 is, first of all, where I want to take you. It's kind of like God speaking through the psalmist and he's saying the following, be still and know that I am galted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Guess what? God doesn't need me to speak to make that happen. If you read that whole portion, it's only quoted here, be still and know that I'm God. But God says, out of that, I will be exalted. I will be exalted among the nations and in the earth. And he doesn't need my speech. He needs my awareness of the fact that he is God, that that could happen. Sometimes we think we're going to just be talking the whole time so that people are going to at least know that God is God. God. We, sometimes in our silence, they're beyond what our words could ever do. That's why I said, if, imagine just two hours. Maybe we should do that on Sunday. Warn you beforehand. Maybe not. You come together and we're like, silence. Just sit and be silent. How many of you would stay? Don't answer. How many of you would come if you knew? Remember what I shared with you, some of the research, what, what it has proven. You want to prepare your best way for an exam? <laughs> Don't only be silent, but it could help. And it's not just silent and there's an ant here. See that ant? And knowing. And knowing. I love the word rafa, which is the Hebrew word for still. It actually means to let go, to refrain, to be quiet, to relax. Rafa. Rafa. How's your rafa? That's one example. Moses and Paul, by the way, they experienced extended period of silence in their lives they weren't among people Moses attending the flocks that's where he noticed the burning bush because it was so distinctly different than what he had noticed or that he had been aware of they um, they remarkable figures in history they experienced these moments of extended silence the ultimate one that Example that we could use is the life of Jesus. Jesus was constantly embracing silence. 40 days in the desert. I mean, the devil, I know, tried to interrupt and interfere in there. Well, that wasn't constant. 40 days in the desert. Before he chose the 12, the Bible says he went and he had silence. And he says, God, John the Baptist separated himself, became quiet. It's one way that we need to deal with grief. And we go through grief. And it's not easy. 
And we recognize the, the trauma of that. But maybe one of the best ways that we can deal with it is just take a page of his book. And then, yeah, it was a constant thing for him, Luke 5. Jesus constantly took time out just to be silent. Ladies and gentlemen, this is something that we don't celebrate in life. If there's ever a conference on how to be silent, how many people would go? Seriously? Write books on, hey, 10 ways to be silent. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. There, there are so many things that we can go through in terms of what the fruit of this could be. I've just given you secular research data. I've not given you what it can do for us as followers of Jesus when we are still and know that he is God. When our focus is on him and we just take time out and we embrace silence with him. There's endless fruit that can come. We've just spoken about the fruit of the spirit and it's not possible outside of this. Is time alone with the spirit. And in our context this morning, it's called silence. So the Bible is full of it. I can keep you busy with examples. And I want to use the fact that the time before Jesus was silent in a unique way. And we can see how God did so much. So silence is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Silence and solitude should never be something that is undervalued or even despised. Don't fear silence. We're preparing this month. We are in a time of celebration. Jesus, what he did for us on the cross by taking communion together. One of the greatest things that we can do when we do that is not just to break, and it's wonderful, it's a celebration, but also to be quiet before the Lord and contemplate and say, wow, what you did is absolutely amazing. So I want to encourage you, why don't you, over the next month, if this is foreign to you, some of you may be comfortable with this, and that's wonderful. But I think for most of us, this is a foreign thing. Why don't you start with something like 10 minutes, maybe even as little as five minutes, where you just become quiet, where you just sit and be alone with God. Sit and read, stop listening, stop, turn off those, those sounds, those intentional ones that you can control, turn them off. And I do think that if we have too much noise around us, when we want to get quiet, it is so incredibly difficult. So whatever could help you, start turning them off. Stop trying to please people. Stop entertaining yourself. Stop doing anything and just appreciate God. Sit and be quiet. We have this thing that we often say to people. Isn't it? Don't just sit there, do something. Can I suggest the following? Is that possible? We're so used to the other one. Don't just sit there, do something. We get busy. Ah, ah, ah. Well, why don't you just stop doing something and just sit there? And then take time 
to embrace silence and see what God will do in your heart, in your mind. Read scripture, contemplate. Just love Jesus. Just love Jesus. Best way to prepare your heart for the new year. Don't just do something. Can I ask that the muses will just come up so we can have our heart tuned towards embracing this time of communion. Thank you, Father. Lord Jesus, that worship is such a beautiful, beautiful thing. It is a lifestyle. We want to worship you this morning as we break bread, Lord. As we have communion together. Holy Spirit, I thank you that it is all about you, the Father, and Jesus. Help us to recognize Jesus this morning as we are in the season of, of celebrating the birth of our Savior. We also want to use this morning as a people, a people of God, to celebrate what He's done for us on the cross. Lord, as we break bread together, we thank You for the beauty that comes through brokenness. That our lives are made whole because of one person who was prepared to become broken. I trust you, Jesus, that as we break bread and a drink of the cup, that we will be reminded of how privileged we really are to be forgiven, to be set free, to be called sons and daughters of God. And Lord, as we take these elements and have a moment of silence before you, I trust you, Jesus, that you will speak deep into hearts, pull people, draw them closer to you, Lord, as only you can. And may those moments, Lord God, of, of inner silence moments of deep appreciation of deep surrender of sacrifice and of commitment towards you as we consider your commitment to us pray Lord may your name be glorified as your people stop because of you and stop for you. I pray that, Lord, in Jesus' precious name. Thank you, Lord.